the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. As always, I'm so pleased to have you along for this travel ride. And my first guest is someone who knows a little something about travel, specifically about women's travel, because she is the found, one of the founders of the Women's Travel Fest, which is one of the best weekends of the year when people from all corners of the travel industry, all with two X chromosomes, that we come together, we support one another, we share our adventures and learn a lot. And now she's taken that experience and other experiences she's had in the travel industry, we can get into those, and written a really inspiring new book. In fact, it's called Tell Her She Can't, Inspiring Stories of Unstoppable Women. Kelly Lewis, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, if anybody defines unstoppable, it's you. <laughs> That's my <laughs> <And> goal. <laughs> yeah, well, I love the way the, the book kind of weaves the stories of these women who have had tremendous challenges in their lives of all sorts uh, and weaves that in with very practical advice on how to follow in their footsteps and how to confront the challenges in, in your own life. Did you start out to do what might be called a self-help book, or do you consider this more a book of, of mini biographies? I do consider this kind of a self-help book, and it sort of was an evolution in the writing process, but really it started from you know, my own personal story in growing up in an environment where people were constantly telling me that I can't, that I mm. can't do things, that I'm not strong enough, that I'm not thin enough, I'm not X, Y, and Z enough. And so I really had to turn that into a source of fuel and kind of, you know, use it to push myself forward to prove everyone else wrong and also prove to myself that I can. Yeah. And I think with travel, for me, that's very similar. Like travel has really taught me what I can do and how strong and capable I really am. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about the experience of traveling solo, it takes a fair amount of resilience. So I guess in the evolution of this book, I kind of just put all of that together to create what I'm so proud of, which is really just a book full of stories of resilient women and women who refuse to believe that they can't when the world tried to tell them otherwise. Right. Well, and a lot of these stories, uh, the, the ones I want to concentrate on, there, there's a big variety, uh, but the ones I want to concentrate on have to do with travel. And the first one that, or at least, may I, I hope I'm right about this, the first one is a woman named Felicity Aston, and she cross-country skied across Antarctica, of all places. How did you meet Felicity, and what a story. Yeah, she was actually the first woman to ever cross-country ski Antarctica solo. So not only did she do it, but she did it completely unassisted and by herself, um, I met her because she was a, a former speaker at Women's Travel Fest, and she is just 
such a badass. Like she's just so <laughs> cool. And she really pushes herself to do these things. And when she was telling me the story of what it felt like to be dropped on the ice and watching the helicopter like whiz away and realize like that she was really truly alone. Yeah. I just thought it was so inspirational. And it's not like I probably will never do something like that in my life, but I think we can all relate to being super afraid and like scared of a task that we've taken on. And so well, how, how yeah. long did it take her to do this? Do I you remember? It, I think it took her about three months. Three if I'm months. Not mistaken, all yeah. alone. All and alone. I loved in her preparation. I mean, she had a lot of preparation. She wasn't a novice. Thank God. Oh, no. She is an explorer. Uh, yeah. This she's is- an explorer with, mm-hmm. with a lot of, but she knew where the massive crevices would be somewhat. And she mm-hmm. realized that one of her biggest challenges would be hallucinating. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That's just mind boggling that you and undertake that kind of adventure knowing that your mind could be you, that your 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 logic and your reason could could leave you totally and i mean can you imagine like the fear that she had to confront especially alone you know at night and just thinking about being the only living thing for many many miles and and to do it anyway even though she was terrified i think is really like is refreshing <laughs> to hear yeah. because it, it well, just, she said she was terrified the entire time, the, the whole, whole three time. months. Mm-hmm. Yep. She was scared the whole time, um, but she did it anyway. And every day she would wake up and say, hello, fear, and like really became good friends with her fear in order to push herself forward. And I just yeah. just love her story. And I mean, and she ended up accomplishing her goal, which is, uh, which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You also had one young woman named uh, Lauren Pears. Am I pronouncing that right, or is it Pears? Laura, I think I believe it's Lauren Pears, and she um, she actually cycled from London to Istanbul. Right. And so another big physical task. Another big physical task, but she's exactly the opposite of Felicity. Right. She had no training at all. I know. Uh, like, I think I want to do this. So I think I'm going to do it. Everybody she met thought she was out of her mind. That Because she's a small woman. She's very pretty in the picture. Very young. And everybody she met along the way and everybody she told that she was going to do this beforehand told her that she was going to end up in a bad place. That it was yeah. just too dangerous for a young woman. And she found the opposite, which I thought was a great thing for women to hear. But can you tell her story a little bit? Absolutely. So she wanted, had this idea to ride her bike from London to Istanbul. Everybody along the way told her that she can't. What is she doing? She has no experience. You know, it's it's not safe. I mean, I think she was 23 or 24 when she was doing this ride. And, um, and even as she was doing the ride, people were telling her like, you can't do this. And she's like, but I'm actually doing it. So <laughs> right. That's funny. Um, but she ended up making it all the way across uh, her trek. And she started a blog called the planet edit, which is about that journey. Um, but she really had to confront some, some sort of inner thoughts. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, when people tell you that you can't do something, you start to internalize it. So along mm-hmm. her ride, she really confronted that and she really, you know, proved to herself that she can. But she also found that the world was really mostly safe and that people were mostly good. And villagers would come from, you know, from all across the country that she was riding through and give her fruit and give her water and 
and meet her on the path. And I think that ultimately, which I also find in my own travels, is that every time you go and you do something that you think is really scary, what you realize is the world really is so safe and beautiful and people really are good. Well, that was the big surprise in the story that that she said she did get some cat calls, you know, when she was biking alone, but nothing worse than that. You know, that overall people were very welcoming. Now, I have to say, that doesn't happen with all women. I mean, you know, there, there are bad things that can happen to women on the road, but for the majority of female travelers... People are good and people are welcoming. And if you take some simple precautions, you're you're going to be okay. I mean, is it fair to say that? I don't want to be too much of I a Pollyanna. Totally that. Yeah, no, I firmly believe that the world is mostly safe and people are mostly good. And if anything, my travels have just confirmed that to me because there have been so many times when I've really been in a bad situation or like things are on the verge of going terribly wrong. And I sort of look to the universe for help and someone always shows up to help. So I think the world is really full of angels and and very kind people. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You also, but not always online. So let's tell Jessica Nabongo's story. And I hope, and oh. there's another name that I hope I didn't just massacre. Tell a little bit about what she did. Well, she's incredible. She became the first documented black woman to travel to every country in the world. Wow. And, you know, it, which is such a feat in and of itself. And she did it all with such grace and socially and very publicly. And so, you know, what happened in her story is that she found that while most people online initially were not discouraging and they, you know, they really did support her in her journey, what she found was her inner circle changed as she got closer to accomplishing her goal and then actually did accomplish her goal. And I think I wanted to tell her story because I think it's really important to discuss, you know, Sometimes when you become the person who does something really hard, you change and the relationships hmm. with people around you sometimes shift, you know, and I think that can be difficult in certain points in time. Of course, by and large, I mean, the community was super, super receptive, but there were also a lot of people on the internet in her particular case where people were saying really nasty things and that she yeah. wasn't the first person to do it. And I think some corners of the internet can be really difficult. So I think she's experienced that firsthand. Yeah. Um, but yeah. nevertheless, she persisted. So yes, sister, <laughs> she persisted. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things we learned during the pandemic was that relocation could mean travel. You know, a lot of people, you didn't want to be flitting here and there at a time when there was so much danger with the virus. So a lot of people scratched their wanderlust by relocating. And you you tell a story of a woman named Ashley Bartner, who at the age of 25 told everyone she was going to move to Italy, didn't really have the money to do so, and yet made that dream. It, for It's a dream for many people, I think, uh, come true in spades. Yeah. She did it with her husband. So, so what's the story there? She did it with her husband and he is a trained chef and she had worked in guest relations for many years and they, you know, went on honeymoon and, and said probably what a lot of travelers say, which is what if we lived here? <laughs> and then, but unlike a lot of travelers, she came home and actually did it. So she started telling everyone that she knew 
that they were going to move to Italy and they have this idea that they conceptualize of creating an inn that could, you know, have cooking lessons and could accommodate guests and host events. And they really made it happen. And there were a lot of setbacks along the way in her journey. They lost a lot of money. A lot of deals, you know, were confirmed by handshakes and then not really upheld. So, Mm. but ultimately they ended up opening a place in Italy and are doing great. And, you know, during the pandemic, Italy was, of course, one of the hardest hit destinations. Um, But when I was speaking with her, she was saying like, well, this is, you know, like so many of us in the travel industry, she was saying, this is such a great time to kind of reflect and and reconceptualize what we want for ourselves and what we want Mm -hmm. our businesses to look like and what we want our travel lives to look like. So she's someone that really inspired me. And now also what's cool about her is she helps other travelers to move to Italy and kind of navigate the process so that they have more assistance than she had. Interesting. And I did find that a lot in this book, like a lot, which I think is so great is a lot of the women who've gone through difficulties and who have overcome people who tried to tell them that they can't, they now help others to do the same. So it's really, it's really kind of beautiful. It's not easy to move to any European country legally. You usually have to have a special skill or certain countries such as Portugal, if you buy a property there uh, for a certain amount of money, you get citizenship. Do you know how she did it legally? I think she started with a business visa because they were they were opening the business. So they really went ah. to the country with the plan to open the business and had a very you know detailed business plan. And everything just kind of evolved from there. And initially, they were going to buy property. But, you know, that ended up falling through. And then, of course, it was it was one of those situations where, you know, someone's uncle of someone's neighbor connected them to the right person. And then they ended up finding a rental property that was perfect for their needs and for their business. Right. Not thinking that they wanted to do a rental, thinking that they had to buy, but then realizing, no, rental made a lot more sense. Exactly. And then, of course, it's like another story of when angels show up, like this, you know, this one person who knew someone who knew someone kind of. And right. And, um, and things just kind of come together, I think, when you chase your goals and you're really just and suddenly you have a business in a 500 year old farmhouse in a gorgeous area of Italy. <laughs> right. Which, which now I'm like, oh, that's so I want to like I want to go there. Yeah. Well, let's tell a little bit of your story. How did you get into travel, Kelly? And and tell us about some of the things you've done over the years. Yeah, I I grew up in Hawaii in a a very Moana-esque vibe where I was constantly wondering what was beyond the shore and um, what the world held for me. But I grew up in a family that was pretty large and we just really couldn't afford to travel. So I really didn't start traveling until after I graduated from college um, in Arizona. And then I moved to New Zealand and I worked mm. for a company that did Lord of the Rings tours, which was so fun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that was wow. kind of my first connection to not just travel, but travelers and the traveling network. And I met mm-hmm. people who would tell me about other places. Um, and it really just inspired me to look at the rest of the world and be like, hey, it was one of those. It's so funny because it's one of those moments where you realize like, wait a minute, I could be on a plane and I could be in Italy like end of the day, you know, and you realize how small the world really is. Yeah. Yeah. I started traveling and then, um, yeah. And then 
a couple of years later, started working specifically in women's travel because I was noticing that my guidebooks weren't telling me the same kind of advice that my girlfriends were. And so oh, don't say that. The Frommer's guidebooks, <laughs> I think you. 70% of them are written by women and we we, we handle women's uh, well, issues. This is, this but is anyway, you were, you, know? you, were wrong, you were reading the wrong damn guidebooks, Kelly. I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Lonely Planet. Uh, know, that's all I'll know. say. Yeah, I wanted to know like which bus station was kind of sketchy at night or like what, you know, what I needed to know just about like being a solo woman traveling. Sure. So, right. so I started with Go Girl Guides um, and then that grew to the Women's Travel Fest. And now I take women traveling professionally via my company, Damesley. So I do a lot of things in the women's travel area. And I think right. when I started writing a book, of course, this is like, that's what helping women to travel and achieve things that they have, you know, dreams of is really my passion in life. So it was a, a very natural pairing. And then also because I grew up in an environment where I was constantly told that I wasn't going to make it and I wasn't good mm. enough, you know, and I, that it was useless to try and wow. all these sorts of things, I really had to channel that into fuel and initially it started off, well, like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong, you know, like, screw everyone, watch me do it. And then, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes we talk about these sorts of experiences negatively. But if you flip that, I'm really thankful also for that, because it pushed me to be an entrepreneur and a leader and really fearlessly kind of chase the life that I wanted and, and have the travel experiences that I wanted. So What's happening with, with Damesley? Are you, do you have any uh, tours in the works coming up or are you holding yeah. off for now? Yeah. So um, when the pandemic hit, everything stopped. Sure. Of course. But now all of our fall tours for this year are full. And wow. Yeah. And half of our fall tours for next year are full. So it's, it's exciting because it's very clear that travel is coming back, but it's yeah. intimidating because obviously, you know, as a, as an owner of the business and just as a human, I want everyone to be safe and responsible. Of so, course. You know, navigating our new travel experiences is, is part of what this year is giving me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things the pandemic gave to me is a renewed uh, gratitude mm -hmm. for the travel community. You know, everybody thinks of travel as this experience where you kind of go off on your own and explore. But for those of us in the industry, it's a big community. And I hadn't realized how much I would miss those people. And a lot of the people I would I met at the Women's Travel Fest, which I think is one of the best sources for community in our industry. And I'm so grateful you started that. Is that coming back? Yes. Women's Travel Fest is coming back. It's going to happen actually March 4th through the 6th in Portland, Oregon next year in 2022. So oh, that's great. I'm you know, so you're coming back. The New York Times travel show is canceled. It's, it's going away permanently. Wow. Well, yeah. Sad. You know, it's so our, our industry is very you know, it's always up and down. It's constantly evolving and changing. And so yeah. I think the pandemic, the sad, the sad parts of the pandemic is that a lot of the businesses, you know, and, and the people behind those businesses weren't able to continue. Yeah. Um, and some and very good businesses. We, we had a, a recent article by Jason Cochran about a, an obituary for the companies we loved that are gone now, like Eagle Creek. Eagle Creek yeah, I just made such that. great bags and they're gone. 
Yeah, I know. I think, but there, it's so sad. And I have to hope that, you know, it's all for a purpose and it's all for a greater good. And I do think that a lot of good things have come also. One big thing is that, you know, I think we take our, our own personal responsibility a little bit more seriously and we really understand what one person's what one person can do in the world and how many people we encounter and the good and the bad of that. And so I think that's, that's changed my perspective. Yeah. Well, one good thing that came out of this was this wonderful book. So many congratulations once again, and thank you for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Always an honor. I'd love to get to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me. Our next guest is Juan Villoro. He's written an exquisite new book about Mexico City. It's called Horizontal Vertigo, a city called Mexico. Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show, Juan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, it's, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure. And I have to ask you, why did you name this Horizontal Vertigo? Well, normally you think that the, the vertigo is something that happens when you go up, uh, but there are some places in the world in which uh, the vertigo can be horizontal. If you think, uh, uh, for example, on a extremely vast, gigantic desert or a city like uh, Mexico City, for many years, uh, we had uh, a, a, a city made out of small houses. It was like mm. a, a notion of houses. Um, nowadays, we have uh, high rises, but that was not common some decades ago. So sure. the city resembled more um, an ocean or a desert. That was uh, the leading metaphor for many people who came to this gigantic place. And uh, I think that when uh, you are faced with such immense, vast territories, you can have a kind of vertigo, but a special one, the horizontal (laughs) vertigo. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I have to tell you, Mexico City is one of my favorite cities. I visited it maybe 15 years ago when when I was told not to visit uh, because (laughs) it was considered too dangerous. And you do in the book, and we should say the book was named by the New York Times as one of the 10 best nonfiction books of the year. And you do talk frankly about some of the dangers of the city. For example, in uh, Tepito, which I, I think is a barrio I did not go to. What do visitors need to know about places like that? Well, all huge cities tend to have some tough spots. Uh, I remember, for example, some 30 years ago that going to New York was dangerous for many people. And there were (laughs) Uh, some neighborhoods in in New York in which they say, well, don't don't you dare to go to those places. Yes, you're right. it's, It's very difficult to control a city that has maybe, because we don't know for sure, some uh, 18 or 20 million inhabitants. So mm. there are uh, some tough spots in Mexico. Tepito has been a traditional neighborhood, a popular uh, barrio, as you said. And well, it's a stronghold for uh, illegal goods, for piracy. Mm. So right. uh, in this place, you can go 
buy the day and uh, it's a very very convenient place to buy very cheap goods but by night it tends to be a quite a dangerous place and so uh, this city is like a the bearded woman in circus. Uh, when you talk about Mexico City, you talk about some defect, some problem uh, that uh, the city has. For example, it's the most dangerous or the most uh, polluted or the city with the most uh, traffic jams and so on. But at the same time, we are in love with this city. So yes. it's like being in love with the bearded woman. It's, maybe it's not the most <laughs> beautiful woman in the world, but it's the one you like. Yes, absolutely. And there's such vibrancy there. What I loved about the book was you you gave the feeling of this city where everybody, yes, is in a rush. Everybody is always jammed together and talking and but they, in certain neighborhoods, everybody knows each other, and there's this community feeling uh, that that you don't get in many other such densely populated cities. Yes, well, one of the most difficult tasks in the 21st century is to cross Mexico City. Moving around <laughs> is not easy because there right. are five million cars in this city and there are five million people who take uh, the subway on a daily basis. So it's wow. uh, quite difficult to go from one place uh, to another. But uh, it's worthwhile because once you get to the place, you have this sense of community you are talking about. It's a place in which uh, the city has a human shape. For example, after the two big uh, earthquakes that we have had um, recently, mm -hmm. uh, the reaction yeah. of the people was uh, quite moving because I think that you belong to the place in which you feel responsible for the garbage, in which you feel responsible for uh, the detritus. So when you say that you belong to Mexico City, you have to be capable of going out in the street and try to uh, recover the city after an earthquake. Mm. And this sense yeah. of community, of being part of something bigger than ourselves that has to do with being responsible of the worst part of the city, the ruins of the city, uh -huh. the detritus, all these things. I think that's uh, quite interesting about uh, Mexico City because it, it has a special life, a special character. Many people have come from afar, but they belong to this, to this place just because they want to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you pull out such great details about the street life there. Like if somebody is dumping garbage where they shouldn't be, you say people put up uh, statues of the saints to, to try and dissuade them. Yes, especially uh, of the Holy Virgin of Guadalupe. She's an specialist for these deeds. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you also bring to life the uh, exuberant celebrations that take place on September 15th. Should visitors come on that day, which is the day of, of Mexico's independence? Uh, talk a little bit about that, those celebrations. Yes, there are a lot of piazzas in Mexico City because at the time of the Spaniards, the city uh, was built uh, in a Renaissance way. And all the plazas uh, were the places of gathering. And it was very, very important, as it happens in the 
Italian or Spanish cities to have these places for the people to come together. So mm. thanks to that design of the city, we have these piazzas. And on the 15th of September, uh, there is this national fiesta. I, I think that it's not a fiesta about nationalism because mm. it's not like that Mexicans, we think, well, we have to recover Texas. We, have, uh, we are on a special <laughs> mission as patriots, no? No, it's just a way of being together. And I think this is quite interesting because it's an opportunity to have a public gathering in which the most important thing is not our... Uh, our country, this sense of uh, belonging to a special place. No, it's a, a place to recognize each other as the main characters of the city. So it's more like a carnival than something else. It's an official commemoration, but it tends to become uh, always a, a, a very, very special uh, fiesta. Well, I loved some of the details of it. You you fill eggshells with confetti and you smash them on the back of somebody's <laughs> neck. <laughs> and yeah. they, they thank yeah. you for that. And everybody is yelling, uh, you know, the, the famous words uh, that, uh, which priest said them? Uh, can you give us a little of that history? Uh, about which, uh, about what priest is, sorry? Uh, there was a priest who, who yelled a famous... Uh, uh, yes, of uh, course. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, it was uh, Miguel Hidalgo, the father of our country. So he was the first one who yelled for independence. And he had a mm. bell and rang the bell in his church. And he said, we need to have um, our own country. So that was the first shout for independence. And so remembering this historical shout on the 50th of September, we shout uh, like crazy <laughs> yes. people. So it's, it's more like a primal scream, you know, this kind of therapy in which uh, you shout uh, to put out all the demons you have inside. So it's a, mm. a sort of a communal uh, primal scream. And once again, it has more to do with carnival that, uh, than with something that resembles an official Party, And I think that's right. the most uh, important part of street life in Mexico, that it has always a spontaneous character. Uh, improvisation, it's the most important deed in Mexico City. Yes, yes. Well, before I let you go, one last question. If somebody has never been to Mexico City, what would be your advice to them? Uh, do you have one thing they must see or do or experience? Well, of course, they have to go to the National Museum of Anthropology, in which mm. there are all one the of the greatest museums our... in the world. Yeah. Yes, and absolutely, and uh, you can check there uh, a, a, a huge amount of of culture, a wealth of treasures of the ancient Mexico. Of course, but I would advise uh, people who are here to walk in the streets, not uh, to, to have a, a quick or uh, an instant approach to the city, but to walk especially in downtown Mexico, in what we mm. call El Centro, and to take profit to go to the small cantinas 
and ask for the daily food because in these cantinas, the food is for free. If you drink uh, a beer, they are going to treat you with a special tidbit. And that's maybe the most important or the most uh, tasteful uh, kitchen or cuisine in the mm. city. So that's a good advice to go to the cantinas and ask for the daily free food. And that way you'll be eating among regular Mexicans, not in the tourist places. And you'll you'll have a, a real authentic well, experience. Yes. You know, one of the contradictions of tourism is that you go to a place trying to find uh, what you have at home. So there are many hotels <laughs> and there are many restaurants in which you can feel that you are still in Houston or still in Seattle, no? And hmm. uh, you have the, the same kind of comfortable life. And, uh, well, I, I'm, I don't want to praise extreme strange things, but uh, I think it, it, it's wise to go to the city and try to get lost for a while not for a longer term situation, but just for a while to get lost. And I think uh, downtown Mexico, the centro, is quite a safe place and you can treat yourself as uh, just an accidental, an accidental walker in this street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a wonderful city and it's a wonderful book. You really bring the city to life. Thank you so much, Juan, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you so much, Pauline. And that's it for this week's Fromer's Travel Show. I have recorded a show for July 4th, and it's going to be a good one. So come back for that and As I always tell you, come visit us at Fromers.com. We have some really interesting stories up on the change in protocols for travels to Hawaii, about the disastrous mess at American Airlines and what you should do if you're holding a ticket or if you're considering buying a ticket for the rest of the summer frankly, to them or to any other airline, so much is changing. So much is shifting. Uh, and we're trying to keep up with it. Unlike so many other sources, we are not paid marketing. We are journalists. Our only customer is you, the listener, the reader. So visit us because it's going to be a bumpy summer. Uh, I think it's going to be a time when travel is incredibly fulfilling and exciting, but also maybe a little difficult. There are a lot of things going wrong. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but we've all been locked up so for so long that it, it, it feels damn good to just get out there. So don't be shy about getting out there. You can do it. And that's all I'll say, except to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty, Bon voyage. I look forward to seeing you next week.